Hello, hello. This is Kathy Colas Audiobooks, and today we have episode 15 of Operation Arrow Fletcher by James Burns. Carly David and Agent Cantor, a.k.a. Megan, get a shocking video from Slovak. Carly remembers what happened the day her father was killed. Here we go. Tatiana kept the heat on full blast. She would start the van and let it run for 10 minutes, then leave it off for 20. The lake effect snow was blizzarding and visibility was little more than 100 feet. It's going to be tough to take out those dogs in this weather, Tatiana said. Maybe they brought them in or put them in the barn. Why don't we show Carly the video now? Why wait for tonight? We're running low on gas, and according to the weather, this storm isn't going away anytime soon. Seeing the video may even make her want to leave. Slovak said nothing as he cleared the fogged-up window with his glove and looked out. The wet snow torrent was falling horizontally, and the power lines were coated in ice. He nodded his head, then looked back at Tatiana. That may not be a bad idea. We wouldn't have to deal with the dogs, and we wouldn't have to spend the night in the van. If they leave, we could come up from behind, sideswipe them, and run them into a ditch. With the storm, they won't be driving fast, and they'll be an easier target. I think we should kill David right there in front of Carly. If your flashbulb memory theory holds up, she would experience more trauma seeing her friend murdered than any video could produce. Slovak paused. That just might work. He handed Tatiana the receipt with the numbers he had written of Carly, David, and Megan. Holding the phone in front of him, Slovak took a deep breath. Give me Carly's number first, and then the others. You got it, Tatiana said, reading the numbers to him. Slovak tapped the screen and sent the video. I'll take the first shift. We can monitor the tracker. If they don't leave by dark, we'll have to go in. David sat on the couch while Tim was in a recliner. Carly could hear them conversing when she left the back bedroom. She gripped a pair of Tim's jeans by the waist while holding a belt with her other hand. Can you punch another hole in your belt? Carly asked, pulling the waistband out from her belly, revealing an eight-inch gap. Pants are a little loose, don't you think? Carly placed the belt through the loops and held her thumb where the new hole needed to be punched. She slipped the belt back off. Right where my thumb is, Carly showed him, then handed Tim the belt. Sorry, Carly, Tim said, looking at how she struggled with his oversized clothes. I just don't want to chance it. I might have missed a chip. You gotta leave him with me. Tim took the belt. I've got a nice pick in the kitchen. Holding her jeans so they would not slip to her knees, she stuffed the oversized t-shirt inside the waistband and sat next to David on the couch. They both heard a ping come from his phone. Who's texting you? Carly asked with a questioning look. Could it be Megan? I don't recognize the number, David said, puzzled. Whoever it is sent a video. He then tapped the image to make it fit the full screen. Sergeant Tim walked back from the kitchen and handed the belt to Carly. This should do it. Someone sent David a video, Carly said as she took the belt, placed it through the loops and cinched it tight. 
Why would somebody be sending you a video? Tim asked, then stood behind the couch to view David's phone. David tapped the red arrow as the three focused on the screen. The video started, and it was at first a bit blurry, and then the image became sharp. A man wearing a ski mask, holding a sheathed bowie knife, stood behind a victim strapped to a kitchen chair. The victim's head hung low, chin to chest. His body was limp, and he slouched in the chair. The camera focused on the executioner who lifted the knife high in the air and ceremoniously removed it slowly from the sheath. He placed his hand under the victim's chin and lifted his head. Hello, Carly, the masked man said, his voice low, his speaking rate deliberately slow. Any idea who that is? Tim asked. Carly gasped. That's Bo! They've got Bo! An unshaven Bo Harris stared back into the camera. Eyes wide with panic, he said nothing. The executioner placed the knife to his neck, then said, Give us the Mithridate. You know where it is. Give it to us, or Bo will join your brother. The executioner placed the knife to the corner of Bo's mouth and cut vertically towards his ear. Bo screamed. He thrashed, trying to move his head, but the executioner held firm. Blood poured from the wound, immediately covering Bo's lower face and neck. A second masked man came from the side and held towels to Bo's face. They quickly became soaked with his blood. The executioner handed the knife to his accomplice and stepped from behind the chair. He removed a picture from his shirt pocket. As the camera zoomed in, it revealed a picture of Artie, the same picture Carly had in her locket. You have 24 hours to contact us. You have the number. Smoking a cigarette outside the West Branch Hotel, Portia thought about Ahmed. She took her last drag and tossed the butt into a can, then walked back into the room. Agent Cantor lay on the bed, pillows piled behind her back, watching TV. You all right? she asked Portia. No, not really. It'll be a long time before I am. Portia walked to the other side of the bed and fluffed a couple of pillows before she lay next to Stacy. So, how long do we stay here? Until we hear from the chief. Right now, Carly and David could be anywhere in the state. Once they get a location, he'll send us on our way. So, you haven't heard from Carly since the last text? No. Remember, we found her phone in a trash can, just outside the Welchester Library. Do you think that David guy might try and call you? Do you have his number? Stacy reached down and grabbed her duffel bag, bringing it up to her lap. That's a brilliant idea, she said, rummaging through its contents and removing the cell phone she used as Megan Connor. She then turned it on. I'll have to clear it with the chief. If David answers, we could ping him. Can't believe I didn't think of that. Ahmed did a great job training you. As Stacy looked at the phone, her forehead creased. What? What is it? Portia asked. Someone sent me a message. Actually, it's a video. Portia leaned over to view the phone as Stacy started the video. Jesus Christ! Who's that guy getting cut? 
Portia asked, grabbing Stacy's hand, bringing the phone closer for a look. It's Bo Harris, Carly's boyfriend. This video was sent to Carly, David, and me. I recognize the numbers. Whoever sent this must think the three of us are together. I gotta send this to the chief. Except for the icy snow splattering against the windows, the room was quiet. What the hell was that? David gasped. Reminds me of an ISIS beheading. Follow me to the kitchen, Ferris, and bring your phone, Sergeant Tim ordered. The light's better in here. Gotta see that again. Carly shuddered momentarily, then brought her knees to her chest and rested her head on them. While David and Tim watched the video, her mind went to that place of nothingness. She slowly closed her eyes as foggy half-memories began to present themselves. Before long, the fog lifted, and Carly saw herself sitting in a different living room that was much too empty. Max was lying across her feet. Bo was gone, and probably not coming back. Ever. Your dad is a real jerk, Max. A real jerk. Max lay there quietly, not moving his head. His tail thumped slowly on the floor. When her cell phone rang, she sat in the chair. Who would be calling this early? She looked at the caller ID. Dad, are you in town? Yes, Carly, just got in. Are you going to come to my place and visit this time? Can't do that now. I really need you to come to Belle Isle. Can you make it? I'll be on the trail of tears. Is everything okay, Dad? No, not really. I need you to come here. Bring your camera and all your gear. There are bird watchers everywhere. I don't dare come to your place. Okay, got it. I'll be there. Bird watchers? Grab my gear. Carly crossed the kitchen to reach her bedroom. She took the few steps to the dresser and paused to look at the picture of Bo and her, smiling and sitting on a bench in Cadillac Square. She touched the frame, then placed it face down. Bending over, she pulled out the bottom drawer and pushed aside some sweaters. She removed the pistol from the drawer, pulled the slide to chamber around, and then placed it in her waistband. On the way out of her bedroom, Carly stepped on Max's tail. He let out a piercing yelp. Max! Jesus Christ! Stop getting in the way! Carly snatched Max's leash and he wriggled with excitement, waiting for her to attach it to his collar. She lifted the camera from the counter and threw the strap over her shoulder. Come on, boy. Let's go see Grandpa. Carly guided Max down the steps to her white Impala parked on the street. Max waited patiently as Carly unlocked the door and opened it for him. Okay, Max, Carly said. Let's go. Max leaped onto the seat and immediately lay down. Carly checked the street before getting into the car. Nothing looked out of place. A few people stood at the bus stop waiting for the Woodward bus. The usual cars were parked in their places. The engine sputtered before it started. She drove down Jefferson, which led to the bridge that crossed the Detroit River. As she drove to Belle Isle, a knot formed in her stomach. Something was not right with her father. Why else would he want to meet in the park and have her bring her gun? As the scenery whipped past, 
Max nervously paced from window to window, his panting causing the windows to fog up. You're such a good boy, Carly said, checking her rearview mirror. We're almost there. She named the footpath the Trail of Tears after Artie stepped on a bee and cried like a baby. It was his own fault. Dad always warned him to wear shoes. Max recognized his surroundings when Carly parked her car. His tail wagged from side to side, and he began to whine even louder. This was not his first walk in the woods. Sit, she commanded, taking the pistol from the passenger seat and placing it in her waistband. Max waited until Carly opened the rear door. Come on, Carly said, grabbing the leash still attached to Max's collar and helped him from the car. Let's go find Grandpa. Carly stood in the parking lot, checking to see if she had been followed. Cars pulled in and families jumped out. Kids so happy to be heading to the sledding hills. When she felt comfortable, she began to walk the trail, snapping pictures as she went, making everything look as normal as possible. Now, don't go chasing squirrels, she said to Max as he walked next to her. Suddenly, he lifted his ears. Out of nowhere, Carly's dad appeared. He held out his arms as Carly got closer. Dad, Carly blurted as she hugged him, not wanting to let go. What's going on? You sounded weird on the phone. Fletcher held his daughter tightly as he nervously scanned the woods and the path. We don't have a lot of time. You have to listen very carefully. Walk with me. Carly listened, absorbing the strange ramblings of her father. She could see the concern in his face and hear the urgency in his voice. Don't trust anyone until you know they can be trusted. If anything happens to me, you have to find Mr. Itadirtum and look to Artie for direction. Dad, Carly said, but her father cut her off. Just listen, Carly, her dad said forcefully. Please, just listen. Carly's father abruptly stopped when he noticed two individuals walking further down the trail towards them. Dad, we're not the only ones in the park. Other people walk this trail. Right, Carly's dad said hesitantly. Just stay close to me and listen. Mr. Itadirtum is in Canada in case you need to find him. He's living in the basement of a house Grandpa built. You can see it from the viewing deck. He'll be waiting if you need him. Carly heard Max growl, and then a shot rang out, leaving her disoriented. Two men wearing ski masks had drawn their guns. Carly's dad pushed her to the side, then drew his pistol. Seeing Max lying motionless in the snow, Carly also drew her weapon. Another shot rang out. It was her father striking the man who shot Max. Eyes wide, Carly witnessed her father take a round to the head. Blood mist filled the air and then rained down, covering the white snow. His knees buckled, and he fell to the ground, never letting go of his pistol. Reflexively, she raised her gun and popped two shots. The forest became eerily quiet. Carly stood motionless, vacantly staring at the carnage around her. Dad... Carly whispered as she dropped to her knees next to her father. As she knelt, she saw two men wearing masks and guns drawn running toward her. 
Carly jumped to her feet and fled into the woods. Tim and David walked back from the kitchen and stopped in front of Carly. Carly, what's wrong? Tim said. I heard you say, Dad. What happened? Carly slowly looked up from her knees. I remember that day in the park. It came right after seeing the video, she said. My father is dead. Slovak was there. What did you remember? David asked softly. He sat down next to Carly and put his arm over her shoulder. She nuzzled her head into David's chest. Carly reached into her blouse and removed her locket. She gave it a gentle kiss, then pressed it up against her heart. I remember what my father told me. It came back to me when you were in the kitchen. I was walking in the park with my father, and before we knew it, two masked men with guns drawn were in front of us. Max growled, and they shot him. My dad drew his pistol and hit one of the men before he was shot himself. I fired my gun, and the last guy fell. I saw two more men running towards me, so I ran into the woods. I know it was Slovak. I recognized his wrinkled khaki pants and voice from the video. Carly's expression hardened. That fucker's responsible for killing Artie, my dad, and Ahmed. I can't let him kill Bo, too. We have to find the Mithridate. David nodded. Did your dad tell you where it is? Not exactly, but he gave me clues. She repeated what her dad said. Mr. Itadertum is in Canada, in case you need to find him. He's living in the basement of a house Grandpa built. You can see it from the viewing deck. He'll be waiting if you need him. Carly went silent, then spoke again. It was me. What was you? David asked. It was me that shot Slovak. There was no stray missile that caused his disfigurement. It was my bullet. Tim and David exchanged glances. Ferris, Sergeant Tim said. I told you she's a keeper. The boom of a high-powered rifle echoed outside the farmhouse. A blue-white flash illuminated the yard, followed by a loud explosion. Inside the house, lights flickered. David instinctively pulled Carly to the floor. Another blast rang out. Sergeant Tim grabbed his 12-gauge from the side of his recliner and rolled to the window. Getting to his knees, he stealthily looked out the corner of the window, puzzled as to why the dogs were not barking. The lights momentarily went out, then within seconds came back. Carly drew her Glock and aimed it on the front door. I've got the back door, David yelled. Then he crouched and made his way until he had a clear view of the back door. He waited, his shotgun fixed, ready for any intruder. Damn, Tim said when he pulled up the shade. It's the goddamn Transformer. I can see it arcing from here. Oh my God, Carly burst out, getting to her feet. What the hell happened? Power lines are covered in ice. Looks like the weight pulled the wire down. Lucky for us, I have one of those natural gas generators that turns on automatically when the power goes out. 
Can't chance my security system going out with all this firepower in here. Shaking his head on the way back into the family room, David said, You have to admit, Sarge, felt like we were back in Iraq for a minute. Yeah, it did. The good old days, he said, smiling, settling back down in his recliner and laying the shotgun on the side of his chair. Who is this, Mr. Ita? What? Ita Dirtum, Carly said. It's Mithridate spelled backwards. It's the clue my father gave to me, hidden inside my locket. A locket he gave to me and my mom the day we buried my brother. Oh, that's right. He told me about it. What did your old man do for a living? He was a doctor, but the more I'm finding out, the more I'm realizing he might have been more than that. Tim paused, then spoke. Okay, so what are these clues you remember now? Carly sat back on the couch, followed by David. Her brow narrowed as she spoke. Mr. Ita Dirtum is in Canada, in case you need to find him. He's living in the basement of a house Grandpa built. You can see it from the viewing deck. He'll be waiting if you need him. So where's this viewing deck your dad's talking about? Tim asked. It's gotta be my grandparents' lake house. It's in Canada? No, that's what doesn't make sense. It's in Lexington, Michigan. Holding up her hand, she showed him the Michigan mitten. Carly pointed just below the knuckle on the outside of her thumb. You can see Canada across Lake Huron, but the lake house is in the States. Was your grandpa a builder? Grandpa Weeblehouse? No. As far as I remember, he was some big shot with a manufacturing company. A VP, I think. Something to do with chemicals. He did have a wood shop, though. He puts in there and made things. Like what? You know, like, um, Christmas ornaments. A lot of Christmas stuff. He once made this manger, and my grandma made figurines that went into it. She had a kiln and was really artistic. Carly stood up from the couch. The viewing deck my father was talking about is definitely at the lake house. Only problem is my grandparents sold the house years ago. They sold it and moved to Arizona. We have to get there. You heard what Slovak said. We've only got 24 hours and we're wasting time. David slapped both hands on his knees, got up, and stood next to her. Hang on, Bonnie and Clyde. Don't be so quick to leave. We need a plan. Sit back down. Let's talk. Reluctantly, Carly and David sat back down. Sergeant Tim leaned forward, sitting on the edge of the recliner. He began to stroke his Fu Manchu. What are you thinking, Sarge? David asked. David, Carly, and Tim bagged all of her belongings. Tim made sandwiches and packed a couple bottles of water, along with half a can of cashews for their trip. Carly stuffed tissue into the toes of a pair of boots, and Tim gave her a winter parka. I want you guys to keep the guns, Tim said as he placed a pistol in his waistband. Sergeant Tim removed five $100 bills from his shirt pocket. He held out his hand and gave them to David. Don't use your credit cards. It can track you with those. David took the cash and smiled. Thank you, Sarge. 
You've always been there for me. Remember, Ferris, what I taught you in Iraq. You have the upper hand with the enemy. You're now in control. Use that to your advantage. And there you have it. Don't forget to join me on Wednesday for Episode 16 of Operation Arrow Fletcher by James Burns. To check out more of my work, go to my website at kathycolas.com. That's C-A-T-H-I-C-O-L-A-S dot com. If you're an author looking to turn your book into an audiobook, email me at kathycolas at gmail.com. Let's talk. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review or share it on social media.